It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September eleventh, two thousand fourteen. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad to be with you tonight. We welcome your comments at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. And if you're in the chat room tonight, uh, we'll welcome your comments there as well. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, we're glad to be here tonight. The, the terrorists have not acted. The Internet is still operational, and we're getting a virtual Bible study out there. Are they trying to attack the Internet? Well, there was a lot of chatter that they were going to try to pull something, some some terrorist stunt today, but apparently they didn't do it. So uh, we're glad for that, and we're ready to roll with a virtual Bible study. We are ready to roll with a virtual Bible study, and we'll look forward to hearing from you tonight on the program as we have... Well, an interesting discussion tonight uh, about an article that you found that, uh, well, it's going to be a good discussion about uh, some false doctrine that's been promoted from yeah, over there. Yeah, uh, we came across a, a website of the Grace Evangelical Society. Mm-hmm. I, never, I, I didn't know about these guys, but apparently one of the, the founder of this organization is a, a quite active author and uh, uh, apparently has some reputation. His name is Bob Wilkin. W-I-L-K-I-N, and he is a proponent of what's called the Free Grace Movement. Yes. And as I understand it, the Free Grace Movement is absolute in believing that salvation is by faith only and that once saved, always saved is absolute. Okay. Uh, uh, So they they take those, at least those two proponents of Calvinism, or those two positions of Calvinism, uh, they they really take... uh, Quite literally and absolutely, the yes. free grace movement. I didn't know about that either. Yeah. Uh, to our website, to our uh, update list earlier today, we mm-hmm. sent out information about that website. Uh, the website is, if you care to look at it, faithalone.org, faithalone.org, and, yeah. and you can follow the links and should be able to find this article that we're going to be reviewing tonight. He yeah. wrote an article about Mark sixteen sixteen. Yes. Of course, Mark sixteen sixteen is is uh, is pretty devastating to the view that you're saved by faith alone, and right. so he took the challenge to write about it. To, and I don't want to be unfair in representing him, but he he tried to explain it away. Yeah. And so we want to we want to analyze what he had to say about Mark sixteen sixteen because we think Mark sixteen sixteen, of course, is a very important and powerful verse that teaches. That salvation is not by faith only, but must be faith must be linked with works of obedience. One of those works of obedience being baptism for the remission of sins. And so this man takes a position just exactly opposite of us, and that verse is a is a pretty good battleground. It is, and if I was going to take his position, I'd have to I'd have to do a lot of explaining on Mark sixteen sixteen because we believe it's very clear. He's going to do a lot of, uh, well, twisting around and explaining why he thinks it doesn't teach that we need to be baptized. But uh, we'll look forward to looking through that tonight. There was some discussion before the program. Anthony, you were asking if this was a recent article. Well, 
You're not too up to date. This 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 goes back to 1995. Oh, this article. I knew ago. it. I knew it had been out there at least 15 years, yeah. but it's been out there 20 years. Yeah, almost 20 years. So yeah, yeah. but uh, but it's unfortunately. It's, but, but unfortunately, still, the position he espouses on that it's not in changed. that article on that website is yep. this very common. Uh, before and we, uh, those who hold his view have not come up with any better explanation since then of right, March 16, right. Because there isn't any, yeah. I think. Yeah. But uh, before we get further into that, let us remind you that you can participate. Phone calls, 877-381-4567. Email, questions at collegeview.com. The chat room, uh, you can sign in there. Give and yourself there, a little name so we know who's talking. And there's the some server. good news as I was driving in tonight. Uh, it's getting dark. So maybe people, yeah, it's starting to get so, darker earlier. Right. Yeah, so maybe we'll get some more participation. Until daylight savings change, time changes, and then we'll go back and yeah, but, lose, lose an hour. But that it's advantage. all right. We're going to get there. We're, yeah. our, our, our audience is coming back. And, the, you know, yeah. the podcast hey, audience hey, is hey, pretty Hey, steady. hey, 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 I see John Duvall in the chat room, and John has restarted his program on Tuesday nights. I think they're, John, isn't it at 7 on? I think they moved it. Yeah, I think they moved it to 7.30. Tell us, John. Give us that update this week. Scriptural, what, what is it, John? 7 or 7.30? 7, 7 o'clock. 7, okay. 7 o'clock on Tuesday, scripturalway.org. Okay. And you can join John's program. They've restarted that uh, after the uh, so summer hiatus. He, he may be on to something there. He realizes people aren't going to listen in the summer anyways. But anyway, <laughs> they're listening in the podcast, and so we're glad for that. Yeah. And we'll welcome your comments anytime if you're listening to us in the podcast. All right, get to your, your questions. Okay, now, what we did, we sent out our update. We always do that about noon today i was a little early actually uh what time was it today about, you were early today that's all right i was i was glad for the about 11 15 yeah. today i got yeah. the update out we told you what we we're talking about i gave you the link to that article yes and so i'm not going to take time to read all this it's, this is a longer update than usual because we took long sections of his essay uh to to comment about but before we start into the actual discussion of mark 16 16 our friend chris in the uk says the portion of this verse is taken. The portion that this verse is taken from is from a disputed text. Okay. Uh, some say it is a mosaic of material from other canon, canonical sources. So we have to be cautious about taking an attic stance on such a text. There is, there, there has been dispute about the last verses of Mark 16, from about verse nine to the end yeah. of of Mark 16. Whole books have been written about those disputed verses. Uh, I've done a little study about it, not thorough, but my conclusion is the verses belong there. And so we're going to we're going to dismiss that possible objection that that these verses are spurious additions to the text. I I think the weight of evidence is that they belong in, in our Bible. Okay, All right. And uh, nothing here that we couldn't prove with other verses either. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think we can establish the, the, the necessity of baptism from plenty of places, but Mark sixteen sixteen is it's really a very clear. Place, yeah. Um, so, and it's interesting that uh, this guy who who's going to great lengths to explain it away, he doesn't resort to the fact of saying, "Well, it's not; it shouldn't be in the in the included in the in the." In the he, he didn't. He didn't make that argument. No, and if it was a valid argument, certainly this guy would use it because he's gone to a lot more trouble to try and disprove it than he could have just saying, "Well, it shouldn't be there anyways." Yeah, yeah, okay. I think you're right. Okay. Uh, so the verse says in the King James, Randy in in uh, Michigan sent in a couple of translations. Of course, the King James version of Mark sixteen sixteen is, "He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned." Young's literal translation says, "He who hath believed and hath been baptized shall be saved, and he who hath not believed shall be condemned." 
That's Young's literal translation. Now, that's very obvious. I mean, to me, you read that. In fact, uh, Dad, we've asked in the past, what would God have to say if he wanted to say, I mean, if he wanted to tell you you had to be baptized to be saved? How else could he put how, it? How, more, how much more clear could it be than that? How would you how would you state it if you didn't want the people to understand they needed to be baptized in order to be saved? But anyhow, um, this guy doesn't think so. All right. Uh, here's here's the first thing we want. Here's the first part of his response that we want to comment about. He says condemnation is for unbelief only. And he went on to explain Jesus did not say he who is not baptized will be condemned. Neither did he say he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. Rather, he said he who does not believe will be condemned. By this, our Lord made it clear that faith alone was necessary to avoid eternal damnation. Mm-hmm. You know, that that is the classic explanation you said earlier, Jacob. People haven't come up with a better uh, attempt than what Bob Wilkin did 20 years ago. But people have been making this argument for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think on the, on the surface we'd have to ask the question, what's the opposite of being uh, condemned? Wouldn't it be being saved? And so Jesus gave us instructions there on how to be I've, saved. I've heard this verse has been discussed so often, but the way I've often heard it said, if you want to be condemned, all you have to do is not believe. Yeah. If you want to be saved, you have to believe and be baptized from that verse. Yeah. I mean, it's very clear. I mean, I, I, uh, some some parallels. Often we throw parallels Give us out some there. parallels. Okay. He who enrolls in a university and attends classes will be educated. Mm-hmm. But he who does not enroll will not be educated. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that? Yeah. You know, in other words, uh, if you don't enroll, you're obviously not going to attend. Yeah. But to if you enroll and attend, you will be educated. Or how about this? This is a this is one we hear all the time. He who eats food and digests it will be nourished. He who does not eat will not be nourished. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I mean, that, we understand that, right? There's really no reason to argue about the baptism part for the unbeliever. An unbeliever obviously wouldn't be baptized. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, you ha- if you believe, you must be baptized to be saved. If you don't believe, you're obviously not going to do anything else, and you will be condemned. Yes. I don't know how easier, how much easier it could be than that. Well, and it, it fails to understand <clears throat> the the, uh, the way that belief and faith is expressed in the Bible, inherent in those concepts is the idea of obedience. Uh, Throughout the scriptures, we see that faith is uh, coupled with obedience, that that's what God is looking for. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus says, why are you saying you believe in me and not obeying me? And so when Jesus explains in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. Inherent in that idea of being of believing is is obedience, and so if you don't believe in such a way that you would obey, you're going to be condemned. Yeah, very straightforward. Right. Uh, Randy in Michigan goes on to say, Bob Wilkins should read Mark sixteen sixteen again. Jesus said, "He said, who hath believed and hath been baptized shall be saved. Uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If a person is saved by believing and being baptized." And that is what our Lord Jesus said. A question, why would any want to be baptized if they didn't believe? Exactly yeah, right, right. right. One has to work real hard to make our Lord Jesus say something he did not say. The truth is, it, the truth is, one has to believe and be baptized to be saved. That is what our Lord Jesus said. Yeah. All right. And now, now, 
This is something uh, that we also have to ask the question. Why would we want to twist and uh, and struggle over a verse that seems to be so clear? Why do we want to risk our soul uh, over uh, something as simple as baptism? You know, we've said that we've made the parallel before of, of, of like, uh, you know, maybe a giveaway. Anthony, after maybe after Thanksgiving, Black Friday kind of thing. You know, if you'll cut this coupon out of the paper and bring it to the store on on Friday morning, we'll give you a free, whatever it may be, ten dollar trinket of some kind. Right? Would you go there without the coupon? If you just went to the store, would you take the chance of not taking the coupon with you? Right. right. Why wouldn't you do what it says? Yeah. Take the coupon with you and uh, and receive the gift. Well, and I think too, um, what he's saying is uh, belief is enough to avoid damnation but when if you take that position then you're contradicting the first clause of that verse so what he's saying is all you have to do is you know if you don't believe you won't be saved therefore if you do believe you will be saved but that directly contradicts the first statement so what he wants us to logically conclude is contra you know contradictory if the the last phrase stood alone he who does not believe will be condemned. Then you could argue then that the opposite would be he who believes will be saved. But, but the verse. But the fact of the matter is the verse already said what right. it takes to be right. saved. So you don't. You, you're not free to draw that conclusion from the second part of the verse. Right. And I like what you said about it contradicting uh, the other parts of the scriptures. For instance, Matthew seven verse twenty one. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Bob Wilkin is saying, everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying. He says, all you need to do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven is believe. Jesus said, not so. He says, not everyone who does that is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Yeah. Uh, We got an email response from Chip in Johnson City, Tennessee. Chip, we're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study. He said, I guess if he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved doesn't really mean that. And doesn't really mean that they are both required. Then, worshiping in spirit and in truth is not required. John four twenty four. Just one of them would be enough. Yeah. Or being born of water and the spirit is not required. John three verse five. Just one of them would be okay. Yeah. So I, I would agree. I think that's true. Now we've got an email from our faithful correspondent Chris in the UK, and uh, we knew this ahead of time, but we we have not convinced Chris yet. Uh, we, we agree about a lot of things, but we have not convinced him about the necessity of baptism for the remission of okay. sins. So he's coming from another uh, point of view, Jacob. Okay. Go ahead. All right. He says, I think it needs to be conceded that, and he says, I'm using a game called Top Trumps for this analogy. Do you know what Top Trumps is? Uh, I don't, but I guess it's the idea of one thing is something trumps another. Okay. One thing is more powerful than another. Right. Maybe it's a kind of paper, rock, scissors kind of thing. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, belief trumps baptism, he says. As I'm sure you wouldn't uh, baptize someone who had no belief, and I've heard you on other shows state that baptism alone does not save you. We agree with both of those things. So going by that, belief is needed, meaning unbelief does does condemn you. We agree with that, that uh, belief is needed and unbelief condemns you. And I agree with his uh, inclusion of John 3.18, and I think verse 36 says it also, along with 1 John 5, verse 12, I will follow up with another email detailing a technical word study argument on Mark 16:16 16, 16 on why the belief also supersedes the baptism. Yeah, I had I didn't get that follow-up email, All so right. we don't have that, Chris. So, uh, but 
I'm not sure what he's saying. Uh, he his inclusion of John three eighteen. Are you following that argument, Jacob? I am not. Um, um, but uh, John three eighteen says, "He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed sure. yes. in the name of the only begotten Son of God." All right. One of the things we've got to be ready to answer, Jacob. Here, here, this verse. Uh, it's like John three sixteen. The more familiar verse is a couple of verses before that. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What we have to do is be able to harmonize all the verses. Yes. And what we conclude is that saving faith is obedient faith. Yeah. And so faith saves. We believe that. Yeah. But we have to define what kind of faith it is, and yeah. it is a faith that leads us to obedience. Right, and that's what we have to uh, interpret uh, this to make sense of it. Yeah, if I, t- if I take this idea that all that is required in order to be saved is faith, that I just have to believe, and if I'm going to stand on that, and then as I read through the Scriptures, I've got to trip over all these other passages that tell me that I've got to be obedient. And if I, if I take and where I read this belief here in John chapter 3, verse 18, and verse uh, 36, as he mentions as well, John chapter 3, if I just stand on that and say that belief means all I do have to do is, uh, is uh, consent to the fact that uh, Jesus is the Son of God, and then I'll be saved, then that forces contradictions with so many other yeah, passages. Well, for, I've got to go through all these acrobatic moves like he does here in Mark 16, 16, to explain a way where the Bible clearly tells us we've got to be obedient. Yeah. For instance, a plain one is James chapter 2. Yeah. In James chapter 2, uh, it says, faith, verse 17 beginning, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Yeah. Now, he's going to, by the way, we're going to get to Abraham a a little later on. He goes on to talk about Abraham in this text. We'll save that for a minute. Skip down to verse 24. This is James 2, verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And then verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. There's not a better place in the scripture than James chapter 2 to show that the kind of faith God seeks is an obedient, active faith, not just a mental assent, not just saying, I accept these facts as being true, but a but a, a faith that leads to action. John in the chat room is on the same brainwave here. He says, uh, Hebrews 11 illustrates the truth of a faith so intertwined with obedience that it cannot be separated. He concludes this is the faith taught by Jesus in both John 3.16 and Mark 16, verse 16. I think so, too. Exactly right. I agree with that, John. All right. Well, we're gonna, we've got to take a break. Uh, this uh, this we could go on and on. We need to take a break. When we get back, he says the apostles preached salvation by faith alone. That uh, well, they were with Jesus, and if they heard Jesus say this, why did they preach a, a gospel of salvation by faith alone? We need to ask the question: Did they teach that? We'll get to that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll take your comments right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) 
And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8, WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn, reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television, because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin, and it's never funny. Here's some quotes worth pondering. It's amazing how much work can be accomplished when no one worries who gets the credit. Having a sharp tongue may cut your own throat. If we wait for the moment when everything, absolutely everything, is perfect, we shall never begin. Life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you wish, but you can spend it only once. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We welcome you back to the program. We're glad that you're here with us, and we'll look forward to your comments. Uh, send them in the chat room if you're listening to us live. And this may be one of those programs where you're listening to the podcast, and you say, you know, I wish I'd been there when they were talking about it live. I had so a I, point. I had, I had a, point. a point. I'd like to ask about Well, send it in. Anytime you're listening to this, doesn't matter. If it's uh, tomorrow or if it's uh, next year, send in your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Questions at College View. All right, let's go on with this essay. Now, this essay is from Bob Wilkin. He's with the Grace Evangelical Society. You can find this article at their website, faithalone.org. Free free grace. All you got to do is believe. It sounds good, uh, but it cannot be harmonized with the Scriptures. Mark's, Matthew seven twenty one. Before we go to this next one, you know, just one more observation about what we were just commenting on. He said... The Lord made it clear that faith alone was necessary to avoid eternal damna- uh, condemnation. Wonder if if his notion of faith includes repentance or yeah. confession. Yeah. You know, he obviously doesn't want baptism, right? We yeah. know that. Yeah. But I wonder. I wonder if his position requires a person to repent, or could you just? I mean, I'm a bank robber. It's how I make my living. Uh, but I want to be saved, and I believe in Jesus. But I intend to continue robbing banks yeah. because it's a pretty good living. Yeah. You know, can I do that? Yeah. And by the way, you know, I just I just don't want to come out and be real public about my faith in Jesus, so I'm not going to confess. No, and if I get pressed on it, I'll deny it. You know, and if if, yeah. if, 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 the, if the Taliban comes and starts, yeah. you know, beheading hey. people. Jesus who? Yeah, I'm not going to confess yeah. him. I'm just not going to. But yeah. I think I can be saved anyway because yeah, I do yeah, believe I him. I do believe him inside, deep down, yeah. Yeah. Well... If that statement is literally true, our Lord made it clear that faith alone was necessary to avoid eternal condemnation, then he has no room for repentance or confession. You know, it is a, it's an inconsistent position. Many are unwilling to take that, that, that's, that leap to be yeah. consistent, but you'd have to. Maybe he does. I don't know. Yeah. All right, so let's go on in this essay. He says, the apostles preached salvation by faith alone. Mm-hmm. Here's his argument. Two of the disciples in the inner circle of uh, were Peter and John. Both of them heard Jesus say the words recorded in Mark 16. Yet both of them taught that the only condition of eternal salvation was trusting in Christ and him alone. Mm-hmm. Peter proclaimed the gospel of Cornelius and his family. He led them to faith in Christ before he even mentioned baptism. 
Only after they were saved and baptized by the Holy Spirit did Peter mention Christian baptism and give them the opportunity to be baptized. The Apostle John wrote an evangelistic book that we call the Gospel of John. He repeatedly indicated that faith is the only condition of eternal salvation. Yet not once in all of John's Gospel, written after the event recorded in Mark 16, 16, occurred. Not once did John uh, condition eternal salvation upon water baptism. In fact, Christian water baptism is not even mentioned in John's Gospel. There's a lot there. There's a lot there in in those couple paragraphs that we need to address. Well... All right. I, you want to go back? He he does deny the the re- importance of repentance. Yeah, he does. I'm, I, I'm on, I, Mr. Wilkin does. Yeah. He he says. Uh, oh, you found this? Uh, yeah. Uh, some additional information yeah. from, the, from his website. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's he says um, a person being evangelized uh, could only be born again. If, uh, see, we should call those who are enslaved to sin to repent, but not in order to gain it everlasting life. So you don't have to repent? Keep on doing what you're doing, man. It's all right. He said we should tell them to repent, but they, that won't affect their salvation. I mean, it's salvation. a good idea, but you don't have okay. to. Okay. Now, I, I want to really, I mean. What about that, uh, Anthony? How about those apples? I just, I don't understand. <laughs> Why would I do it hey, if I don't have to? Yeah, you no. know, I can, I'm just going to keep being a liar and a fornicator. And, in fact, I might just cut your head off if I if you make me mad. But I'm going to go to heaven, man. Right. All right. Uh, he says that Peter and John... Uh, taught that the only condition of eternal salvation was trusting in Christ and Him alone. Now, I, I'm a little bit befuddled by that because we got lots of information from Peter, who definitely taught the necessity. But Peter was the one who, when people ask him in Acts two verse thirty-seven, "Men and brethren, what shall we do?" Peter is the one who answered Acts two thirty-eight, "Repent and be baptized, every yeah, one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins." And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He did. You know, yeah. that that was that was a statement to people who were believers. Yeah. They, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said, what shall we do? And the answer was, well, you've, it, the answer wasn't you've done enough already by believing. The answer was you must repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. And I'm thinking maybe over to a book that Peter would write later on in the first book there of Peter, chapter first 3, 3 21. verse 21. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God by the resurrection from the dead. So it's a little bit uh, outrageous here that uh, the author would conclude that the apostles preached salvation by faith alone because I see no such thing. Yeah, I, I I think he's way off base on Peter for sure because I, I mean Peter definitely taught repentance and baptism well, as it, conditions of salvation. So we got Acts two thirty eight, we got First Peter three twenty one, um, and uh, John in the chat room says John uh, John uh, the apostle also never said to repent. You can't maybe you can't find repentance in the Gospel of John. That's interesting. Um, I'll have to I'll have look, to look into at that. that. But 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 but. Uh, Again, back to this essay by Bob Wilkin, he 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 really presses the case of Cornelius in Acts chapter ten, and he says Peter proclaimed the gospel to Cornelius and his family. He led them to faith in Christ before he even mentioned baptism. Only after they were saved and baptized by the Holy Spirit did Peter mention Christian baptism and give them the opportunity to be baptized. Uh, it's interesting. He calls it. He gave them the opportunity to be baptized. The scripture actually says in Acts ten forty eight he commanded them to be baptized yeah. in the name of the Lord. Uh, but back up when Peter first began his message to Cornelius, 
He said in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Oh, wow. So, so That's not a salvation by faith alone, th- is th- it? It doesn't sound like it. Now, you know, um, he'll, he'll say more about this. We'll, we'll get a little later in, in the uh, um, exchange. But he has him saved. Really, he has him saved even before hearing uh, uh, because he has him saved when the Holy Ghost comes upon them. But I, I think the Holy Ghost came upon them before they were saved. In Acts chapter 10, verse 6, Cornelius was told, send for one Peter, whose surname, send for one called Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Peter would tell him what he had to do. But this, uh, but when Peter was telling this, retelling this whole uh, story, he, he said, he, he, this is chapter 11, Acts 11, verse 13. He showed us how he had been, seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. So the words, Peter was going to tell him what he had to do, what he ought to do, what he had to do. The word really means what he must do. And and then restating that, he was to send for Peter who would tell him words whereby he would be saved. But notice verse 15, Acts 11, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. He hadn't even told him the words yet. And the Holy, Holy Ghost came. The words were going to be essential to save Cornelius. But Peter hadn't even spoken the words yet when the Holy Spirit came upon them. So the Holy Spirit came upon them as a sign. We believe clearly that it was a sign that the Gentiles... Not a sign of their salvation, but a sign of their acceptance. A sign of their acceptance into the kingdom of Christ. But they weren't saved. Even when the Holy Ghost fell upon them, they weren't saved. They weren't saved until they were baptized, until they heard the words and and were obedient to the words that Peter had been sent there to tell them. So I, I just I think he misses it completely on Peter. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Travis in the chat room says for he references Galatians five verse six. Well, there's there'd be Apostle Paul for Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Faith working is what we need. Travis says. Uh, okay. So interesting comment there. Thank you, working Travis. Working faith is the saving faith. All right. Um, what about John? And I think I think we've proved that. He, his argument is Peter and John would have heard Jesus make this statement in Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth that baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Peter and John would have heard him say that. Why didn't they go out and preach the necessity of baptism? Well, the fact of the matter is they did. Yeah, starting in the very first uh, sermon on the day of Pentecost. Peter, it's real clear with Peter. It might be a little more difficult to establish that John taught baptism. But go back to John chapter 3, verse 5. John chapter 3, verse 5. Okay. In John 3, verse 5, John is recording the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Um, Jesus said, John 3, 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I would argue that John 3, verse 5, 
is baptism in John's gospel. All right, now there's some discussion about whether it's water baptism, the water there is baptism, or if it is, in fact, uh, the uh, amniotic fluid, uh, but... uh, we don't even have to get into all well, that. Well, the context bears out he's not talking about amniotic fluid because when Cornelius said, you talking about my mother's womb? And he says, no. Yeah. I'm talking about – and so he, Jesus eliminated the possibility he could be talking about the water that's associated with physical birth because mm-hmm. he, he clearly indicated that that was not – when Cornelius asked, he clearly indicated that's not what I'm talking about. He's talking about water and the spirit being uh, washed with that. And are born by that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, verse 25 says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. They might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There's the spirit and the water together again there. Another reference to water baptism, not uh, a physical birth. Yeah. Uh, John 8, verse 51, Jesus said, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. John taught that you have to do what Jesus said. Now, it may be a little more difficult to establish in John's gospel that that baptism, I think we can. But he it's, did, not, it's not as clear as what Peter but said. But he did talk about obedience, and he that's enough about, to negate what uh, yeah. Mr. Wilkin is saying. Yeah, and look at John 14. John 14, verse 15, he said, if you, if you love me, keep my commandments. In John uh, 14 verse 21 he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me he didn't say he that notice you have you got to keep his commandments uh, he that loveth me he that loveth me shall be loved of my father i will love him and will manifest myself to him and so uh, john stressed the need of obedience uh to the commands uh of jesus first john chapter 2 first john chapter 2 verses 3 this is the same John, the Apostle John. First John 2, verse 3, Hereby we do know that we know him, what, if we just believe? No, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. All right. So John taught obedience to commands, not just faith. Okay. You know, his argument is they taught the, that the, notice, both John, Peter and John, he said, taught that the only condition of eternal salvation was trusting in Jesus and him alone. No, John taught commandment keeping. Peter clearly taught baptism. I think John taught baptism. Peter clearly taught baptism was necessary. All right. To the phones we go with Arthur and Kalioka. Arthur, welcome to the program. John, excuse me, John 3.23. And John was baptizing in Enon near to Salem, because there was much water there, and there came and were baptized. Yeah. Uh, now, right. now, now you're, you're mentioning that, uh, Arthur, to indicate that, that the Apostle John right. included baptism in his gospel. Exactly right. Yeah, but, but now that, that was John, John the Baptist. That was, that was John the Baptist, but it was John the Apostle who was telling oh. about John the Baptist. Okay, no, not John. Okay, excuse me. Yeah, I was thinking that was, yeah, okay. Uh, All right, but, but, but that that's got that's that that is a, a mention of baptism in John's gospel. Exactly right. 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 Okay. Is. But not the same baptism that would be required today. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, and so, uh, but yeah, good. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for calling in. Our program. How can anyone miss what you all have brought up? It's, it seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Oh, clear as water. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, Thank Arthur. You. All right. Thank you. Bye.
All right, uh, the phone line is oh, open oh, now. We're past, we, we, we're, well, we're, we're going too long far. on our break. All right, we're going to take a break and give you a time to call, 877-381-4567. We'll get a bullet point. When we get back, the gospel never changes. That God does, Well, if God didn't require baptism in the Old Testament, in other words, well, does he require it today? We'll talk about that when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Have you heard of the International Flat Earth Society? There really is such a group, and they believe that the Earth is flat, even though there are mountains of evidence to the contrary. No pun intended. We would say that this is simply crazy. Some suggest that believing in God and the Bible is just like believing in a flat Earth. They imply that those who are believers ignore reason and logic and blindly follow their faith without any supporting evidence. But the truth is that believers understand the need for evidence and, in fact, the Bible emphasizes essential evidence. When the disciples of John came to Jesus asking, Art thou he that should come, or do we seek another? He did not say yes or no, but pointed them to the evidence that would provide the answer. He said, Show John again those things which ye do see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. That's Matthew 11, verses 3 through 5. The inspired apostles were skilled at presenting the evidence that would convince their hearers that Jesus was the Son of God. For instance, numerous times the Apostle Paul is described as, quote, reasoning with his students about the identity of Jesus. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Can you explain your faith to others? Are you ready to give an answer always to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you? 1 Peter 3, verse 15. All of us should place an emphasis on careful study and preparation in the matter of evidences. Our own faith will be strengthened and our ability to teach others will be improved. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program, and we remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and we welcome your comments anytime, questions at collegeview.com. Before we pass from this last point about Peter and John and what they taught, uh, Chris in UK says, Peter does seem to preach that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, and John has... Chapter 6, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Along with Paul's statement from Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. All, Of course, we, we know all those verses and, and love them, and they are important. And I would argue that they all are uh, suggest the saving faith that is a obedient faith. All right. So we'll go to that. Uh, Chip? So, uh, says uh, this number two is confusing. Didn't Peter preach the first gospel sermon and faith and belief uh, were not even mentioned, but baptism is mentioned twice. Now, maybe it, it was mentioned, but the Holy Spirit didn't think it was necessary to include it. Didn't John preach the same sermon in different language? Also, wasn't it Peter that said baptism doth also now save us? First Peter 3.21. Peter didn't just give them the opportunity to be baptized, but commanded it in the name of the Lord, which... Uh, from Acts chapter 2, we know is baptism for the remission of sins. I would, I hope all would believe that you cannot be saved while still in your sins, so there is no way they were saved until after baptism. I, I would disagree. Uh, with, he says, I think John 3 verse 5 is baptism as a requirement to enter the kingdom. John also, and this is a whether or not John preached baptism, John also does not even mention the word repentance in his book. 
Uh, I guess Paul was wrong in Acts 17, verse 30, and Peter in Acts 2:38 and 3:19. What a crazy, contradictory doctrine this is. Thank okay. you, Chip. And real quickly, Randy in Michigan says Bob Wilkin is wrong about Peter, uh, uh, and he is about the rest of the disciples in Jesus' inner circle. Why? Because Peter taught this, Acts 2:38. We've quoted Peter taught that one must repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. By his authority for the remission of sins, what Peter said is not hard to understand. So, uh, and John has an interesting comment in uh, the chat room on whether or not John said anything about baptism. John says it's not surprising John said nothing about baptism in First, Second, and Third John, as well as Revelation. His messages were designed to strengthen and encourage those who were already saved. He wasn't addressing the subject of salvation and entrance into the body of Christ. Revelation given by the Lord to John gave hope of victory to the faithful who were undergoing and about to undergo the further persecution. And as you have already shown, John's gospel does record Jesus talking about baptism in John chapter 3, verse 5. Thank you for those yeah, comments, that's John. A, I think that's a real good observation John makes there. You know, all of the epistles, including the epistles of Paul, there's not a lot, of, even in Paul's epistles, there's not a lot concerning baptism. You quoted Ephesians 5, mm-hmm. uh, which is one place, I think. Uh, but even in the epistles of Paul, there's not a lot of emphasis on baptism because those epistles were written to people who were already Christians. But go to the book of Acts where we have the record of all the evangelistic work that was done as the gospel was going into new places and converts were being made. And in every case of conversion in the book of Acts, baptism is included. Every case of conversion that we have details. Yeah, can you think of one that doesn't mention baptism? There are some, and I'll just where it just basically says they were they were added to the Lord and things like that. Yeah. But, okay, okay. But, okay. I, I think I think you can establish baptism in all the cases of conversion in Acts. Okay, uh, right. we, we have to go back and yeah, dig our old there, chart out. Yeah, yeah. But on, the, on the ones that give details, you can. Okay. All right. All right. Let's let's move on to the to, uh, in this uh, essay by Bob Wilkin. Uh, he says, the gospel never changes. What about the thief on the cross, I would say? Jesus said he would be with him that day in paradise, yet he was never baptized. The response I get is, that was before Pentecost. After Pentecost, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. The idea is that the gospel had changed. Before Jesus' resurrection and coming of the Spirit, a person was saved without water baptism. After that, after water baptism was then required. That is an impossible position, he says, to defend. Since the Apostle Paul clearly indicates that we are saved in this age the same way Abraham and David were saved in their age. He references Romans 4 and Galatians 3. The gospel has always been and always will be by grace through faith plus nothing. We find this in the first book of the Bible, Genesis 3, 15, 15, 6, and in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 17. All right. So, again, quite a bit to, to, to digest there. We have talked about the thief on the cross sure. dozens of times on the virtual Bible study. Yep. And I, I, you know, the, the thief it, on the cross proves nothing. Yeah, and it, I mean, you almost grow weary of answering that same old argument that just doesn't hold any water at all. Yep. Uh, Jesus blessed the thief on the cross. No doubt about it. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. But that's not the only person that Jesus directly blessed. There were there were several instances where he said, "Thy sins be forgiven thee." Right to people, who, and they were baptized. But the reason why Jesus could do that was because he was here in person to bestow blessings directly as he chose fit. Sure. But after he died, the only way to receive his blessing is via his testament. The Hebrew writer makes this argument: Hebrews chapter nine, verse sixteen. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. 
For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So Jesus' last will and testament didn't go into effect until he was dead. And so while he was here on earth, he could dole out blessings any way he wanted to. But after he's dead and he's not here in person any longer to give blessings directly, then we must adhere to the conditions of his will. And does he really believe uh, this, uh, Bob uh, Wilkin, does he really believe that the gospel never changes, that God's requirements for mankind, mankind have never changed? Certainly uh, his requirements in the Old Testament are different than what are repeated in the New Testament. In fact, we're told that we're not to be under uh, the requirements that were placed in the Old Testament. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4 is one uh, that we would point to. And in Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verse 8, for finding fault with them, that being the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, he saith, Behold, the days come, say the Lord, well, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with those of the house of Judah. The Bible tells us that the gospel did change. The requirements of God uh, for his people have changed in the New Testament dispensation. Yeah. Um, think about the thief on the cross again for a minute. I wonder what Bob Wilkin would say about Romans 10, 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And especially dwell on verse 9 there. If thou shalt believe in thine heart, what? That God hath raised him from the dead, mm-hmm. thou shalt be saved. The thief didn't believe that. No, he didn't. Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead yet. And yet he was still, in other words, there's something, the thief didn't have to believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead because he hadn't. Hadn't seen it yet. But he was still saved. Yeah. Now, could a person today be saved? Would Bob Wilkins say that a person today could be saved if he did not believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? I don't think he would. In Surely it, he would say, in, oh, you got to believe that. In which case, he cannot be saved like the thief on the cross. Yeah. Good point. And furthermore, if we go back a couple cha- a few chapters in Romans to chapter 6, we see that the baptism that we uh, we practice today is a uh, figure of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, in which case uh, we see that that baptism would have been no, of no effect or it, wouldn't have been, it wouldn't be, couldn't have been the same baptism that we're required to observe today as we see in Romans chapter 6 as we're being baptized into Christ's death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. He, Bob Wilkin talks about Abraham and David. I want to talk about Abraham specifically. He says we are saved in this age the same way Abraham was saved. Well, if I could speak in generalities, I would say yes, mm-hmm. in that Abraham, when he God told him what to do, he did it. And so he believed and obeyed. And if you want to speak in broad generalities, that's what we got to do, too. We have to believe what he tells us and do what he tells us. Now, he told Abraham to leave his homeland and travel to a distant place that he'd never seen before. He had told me that. But Abraham believed and acted on his faith to obey God. And, and, uh, and that's, that's how, why God blessed him. And if Abraham, God had appeared to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees and told Abraham to get up and leave, and Abraham had sat there on his sofa or whatever they had back in Ur in those days and hadn't moved, Abraham would have been lost as anyone If he else. hadn't acted If on he his had faith. not obeyed. Yeah, you know, I, I suggest we might mention these verses. I, I, we were reading in James chapter 2. Uh, James chapter 2, that's so strong on faith and works, not faith alone. James 2.21, was not Abraham our father justified by works 
when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Abraham is is used as the example there in James 2. That is not faith only. Abraham had faith, but not faith only. Abraham had faith that acted. And that's the faith we've got to have. We've got to get a break, and we're running out of time. But when we get back, i got to ask you a question. It sounds an awful lot to me like you're talking about salvation uh, by works, or salvation uh, that God owes you as a result of you doing some works. I want to know about that. Are you saying we, we've got to earn our salvation with our works? Because that would definitely be something that Mr. Wilkin would have a problem with, and uh, you might be surprised to hear that we'll have a problem with that as well. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get back. Don't go anywhere. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Millions of children are currently being raised by single or divorced parents. Single parents account for 27% of the family households with children under 18. One in two children will live in a single parent family at some point in childhood. One in three children is born to an unmarried mother. The number of single mothers increased from 3 million to 10 million between 1970 and 2000. All that information is via the U.S. Census Bureau. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program, going to the top of the hour, going fast. Now, as we talked about before the program, I mean, before the break, you're telling me that I've got to be obedient. Scriptures tell us that I'm not saved by works or I'm not I'm not saved. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, by grace you're saved. Well, let's talk about faith. Abraham a little bit more. That, uh, Bob uh, Wilkin mentioned Hebrew, or Romans 4, Romans 4. Romans 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath wherefore to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The kind of works that are under discussion in Romans 4, the kind of works of Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, are works that I could notice. He hath, uh, what is it? He hath whereof to glory. In other words, if salvation is by works, meritorious works, works I do to earn salvation, then I could brag. I could boast. Uh, look at me. Look what I've done. God owes me salvation. There are no such works. And we do not believe that there are. Uh, and that's what the point that that the that Paul was making in Romans four. Abraham wasn't uh, justified because he earned it. 
he was justified because he believed God. Yeah. But that does not exclude the necessity of doing what God said for him to do. James 2 is clear on that. Yeah. So you, got, you can't pit one passage against the other. And they it's have very, to harmonize. It would be very easy to do that here if we're not careful because James chapter 2 and Romans chapter 4 say almost exactly the opposite, but you've got to understand the meaning of the context to understand what the passages are teaching. And as you said, we're not teaching a doctrine of salvation by merit, a works of merit, but we are saying very clearly, Jesus said, you've got to obey. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You've got to obey if you're going to be pleasing to God. You're not earning it. And Jesus said in, uh, what was that, uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 10, So likewise ye, when you have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. So you're not earning your salvation. There is no merit as a result of being obedient. But it is your duty, if you're going to be pleasing to God, you've got to be obedient. Yeah. All right, we, we're running out of time, so we're going to kind of, Jump past some of these email Travis responses. in the chat room says, people like this don't understand faith. And in your offspring uh, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, uh, verse 19. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll forego our emailers on that one and get to this last one. Maybe we'll have time to catch them on this last question. All right. Finally, this is an essay by Bob Wilkin. He's with the Grace Evangelical Society. It's a, an essay in which he's trying to basically explain away the necessity of baptism from Mark 16, verse 16. He's a proponent of the free grace movement. It's all by grace, faith through grace. Uh, here's what he says again. The New Testament gives examples of salvation before baptism. He says, in addition to the thief on the cross, we just talked about the thief on the cross. We don't have to talk about him anymore. Okay, we took care of him. He says, there are other New Testament examples of people who were saved without being baptized. Martha... John 17, 25 through 27. We've got to look at that. That one confuses me. Is one. Another is Cornelius and his household. According to Acts 10, beginning verse 43, they were saved the moment they heard Peter tell them that, that all who believe in the Lord Jesus receive remission of sins. At that very moment, before they were baptized with water, they were, uh, before they were baptized with water, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. So he, he, I think he's straining to give a couple of examples of, of people he thinks who were saved before they were baptized. We've already explained the thief on the cross. That that example doesn't work. But what about Martha? John 11, verses 25 through 27. I don't get this. In John chapter 11, you remember that's when Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the dead. Mm-hmm. Martha's brother Lazarus had died. He'd been buried. Jesus arrived in John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said to him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. How, how does that prove salvation before baptism? Again, this is still during the life of Jesus. The gospel, uh, which included the requirement of baptism for the remission of sins hadn't been preached yet. I don't see how the case of Martha there proves anything. Well, it uh, it uh, does it fails to understand how Jesus defines belief. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Uh, Jesus uh, couples belief and obedience uh, together, as John has said, so closely they cannot be separated. And he'll go on later and tell us what he, we must do in order to be saved. Uh, again, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, 
Is Jesus contradicting himself here in John chapter 11 versus what he said in Matthew chapter 7? No, he's not. The two are so closely coupled together they can't be separated. All right, let's go back to this Cornelius thing one more time. Was Cornelius saved before he was baptized? Specifically, was Cornelius saved when the Holy Spirit fell upon him? Mm -hmm. Well, I want to remind you, let's walk through this real quickly one more time. We've got to get us a couple minutes. In Acts 10, Cornelius was told to send for Peter. Acts 10, verse 6, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. That's King James. I think other versions will say, newer versions will say, he will tell thee what thou must do. So he sent for Peter. He's going to tell you what you must do. The word oughtest there means must. He will tell you what you must do. All right. So Peter's retelling the event in chapter 11 of Acts. He says, the angel stood by him and said, send men to Joppa. Call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. So in other words, the angel said, send for Peter, and he'll tell you words. He'll tell you what you must do. The words will inform you what you must do to be saved. Right? What must now, I, yeah. And now, the next verse. And as I began to speak, not after I had spoken to them, after I explained things. No. As I began to speak, the words weren't done yet. The words hadn't come out yet. He just beginning to say the words. As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us began. I'm saying the Holy Ghost fell upon them, but they weren't saved. They hadn't heard the words yet. The whole idea was Peter's going to tell you words that will, whereby you will be saved. He hadn't told them the words. The Holy Spirit fell upon them as a sign. But the Holy Spirit falling upon them did not save them. They still had to be baptized. And Peter commanded them to be baptized in Acts chapter 10, verse 48. Cornelius is not an example of someone who was saved before they were baptized. And Randy in Swartz Creek, Michigan, says Cornelius was not saved before baptism. He says there's nothing in the context that says Cornelius and his family and friends were saved before they were baptized. Let us not forget Peter commanded them to be baptized. Remember, the gospel does not change. I think he's using a little sarcasm there. Thank you, Randy, for that. And Chip uh, says there are no details of conversion without baptism post-ascension. Okay. All right. And Chris in the U.K. says, first, I do not go with Martha. So he agrees that Martha uh, example doesn't prove anything. He says, but Acts 10 is much more interesting. Where they have the Holy Spirit before baptism, let alone near water. Plus, why was Paul in 1 Corinthians one seventeen? Why was it that Paul in 1 Corinthians one seventeen said that Christ sent him not to baptize, but to preach. That's a whole other question. There is a great answer to that, by the way. Yeah. Because they were being divisive in Corinth about who they were following. Paul, Apollos, Cephas. Uh, so Paul said, my, my purpose was not to do the physical baptizing, but the teaching. doesn't matter who baptizes you. Yeah. And he said, I, he, said, he said, I'm actually glad I didn't baptize more of you because it would have just contributed to this divisive spirit that exists in court. But you know what's interesting? He did baptize. Yeah. He said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, he says, um, well, let me. my pages are sticking together. Yeah. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. So he shouldn't uh, have said, I'm thankful that I only baptized you. He should have said, I'm sorry I baptized you because I was in direct contradiction to what Jesus Why did he baptize him if that's not what he was sent yeah, to do? I, I violated the instructions yeah. that I was given, yeah. All right. Uh, uh, and now, if you don't mind, uh, Chris gives us an interesting scenario. Is I have a question, if I can't have my own question, 
Apologies if it's an unpleasant one. If baptism is needed for salvation, then let me set up a scenario. You're in the trenches in World War One, and you and your buddy have, uh, you with your buddy have explained the gospel to the other soldier with you. He has come to believe it, but at that moment comes to the comes the order to go over the top. While engaging the enemy, he falls. Has he died to save man or not? Well, I have another scenario for you, Chris, and I think if it proves anything, then your scenario will, will fall as well. You're in the trenches in World War One. You and your buddy are there, and you realize that uh, Joe sitting next to you in the trenches has never heard the gospel. And so you reach in your in your what do you call that? Your, your uh, uh, knapsack. Knapsack, yeah, your knapsack. You pull out your Bible. You just as soon as you get your Bible out to talk to your buddy Joe, Mortar the order comes, comes for you to go over oh, the top. Okay. Joe, if you if you had told Joe, he would have believed, no doubt. But you didn't have the time to tell him. So is, is, is he, he lost or saved? Because he, he was a te- he was a potential believer, but he didn't have a chance to believe. Yeah. So is he lost or saved? If if we're going to argue on hypotheticals, we can argue anything. Yeah. You know. So so let's say the concerning the guy in the trench in World War One, whatever happens to him, you know to be baptized. And if you are refusing and rejecting that command, are you going to be saved? You know, uh, I, I just don't think you can prove anything by hypotheticals like that. But the fact of the matter is we're not in that condition. And so it really doesn't matter in regards to our salvation. We know the command is to be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Again, Anthony, if we're, we haven't talked to you much tonight, Anthony. Um, That's okay. Uh, but... If I'm going to take this stand that all I've got to do is believe, then I've got so many passages I've got to explain away. Even as uh, this guy does here, with even with repentance, the clear passages on repentance, and uh, you mentioned confession, all of these things. If I'm going to stand on the fact that all I've got to do is believe, then I cannot harmonize the scriptures with that belief. We, on the other hand, if we take an understanding of the entire New Testament and we can harmonize, then Anthony... We can understand we've got to be obedient if we're going to be saved. Right. I mean, uh, you know, I still keep coming back to the passage. The only time, you know, that faith alone appears in the in the New Testament, it's with a not in front of it. James 2.24, so, not right. by faith only. John makes uh, a couple of good observations in the chat room. We're out of time. He says, uh, concerning Martha. So he views Martha as being saved from her sins at this point. If so, Martha was privy to something even the apostles did not yet comprehend, John 16.12. It was after the resurrection of Jesus that the apostles came to understand the message of the gospel. Let's not forget Colossians 2.12, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Uh, and he says, if the person dies just before he can quickly say the supposed sinner prayer. In other words, this guy, so let's change the scenario one more time. You're in the trenches. You teach the guy to believe on Jesus and in, and, and instruct him to pray the sinner's prayer. But before he can get the prayer out of his mouth, a mortar shell falls on his head and he dies. Is he saved or not? Yeah. Well, we're going to argue that. Well, we, I mean, come on. What? That's right. We, As you mentioned, we know what the scriptures have said. And if we don't obey them and comply with them, Anthony will have to give answer uh, to God on that day of judgment for that. Right. There's no hypothetical that can excuse us if we know what to do that's right. Right. All right all right we're out of time well, thank you for we do we need to cut it off we've gone too long uh well thank you for time tonight Dan. thanks to everybody in the chat room everybody's listening uh uh
Appreciate all the good comments. And th- thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be here. My pleasure. And thank you for joining us. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. And if you have any questions about what we said or you disagree, you know, maybe some of you, maybe you're listening to this and, uh, well, you're, you're maybe you're a day or two late. Or ask your preacher. See if yeah. your preacher would be, be willing to, uh, uh, Join with us on the virtual Bible if study. If you disagree, again, you can listen to other uh, programs where we've talked with people who we disagree with. We'll do it, and we 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 will uh, give you our word that we will do it in a respectful way and give you time to make your position. We'd like to talk with you, and if you disagree with us, especially, we'd want to hear from you. Uh, maybe you can help us understand it in a way that's uh, different. If you would give us uh, your time to talk with us on the program, maybe next week, give us a call or send us an email. We welcome your comments. Don't we hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.